0: Good morning. The announcements for this morning, uh, wonderful Wednesdays continue this week. If you look on the back of the bulletin, there's some photos from last week of some volunteers and people who help out. The menu for this week is chili soup, and they're always going to have their favorite chicken noodle. Dinner is open to anyone in the community, and we welcome you and invite your friends and neighbors to join us on Wednesday nights. The church cookbook pre orders begin tomorrow, so students will be receiving their order forms today. Are there any youth please raise your hand so people can see where they can get their orders? There's a few. If you place your order with any of the youth, with Tory Russell, or call the church office, they're fifteen dollars and they'll arrive in time for Mother's Day. Please rise and join me in the call to worship. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Join us in the song Cornerstone.
1: Creatures of habit, come on over. Come on over, all the way over. There we go. Awesome. Did you guys hear the tornado siren being tested this week? Did you? No. I was in St. Mary's when that one went off. Why do we have tornado sirens?
2: Because if there was a real.
1: It would, it would soundtrack it where it would go. Yeah, and that would warn us ahead of time, mm-hmm. and it helps us to get prepared. How many of you have been in fire drills at school? Well, oh, it's really nice because you get out of the classroom, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Unless it's raining. Do. You do. <laughs> and why do we have fire drills? Who no, can tell me. Practice and get prepared in case we have a fire. Now, there's people in the audience here in the 50s and 60s, we had drills, too, for the Cold War. How many of you remember that under our desk? And, well, come on now. <laughs> was Licking County the only one that did that? But we used to get prepared, too, because we didn't know when it was going to happen, Right? We we have no idea if there's going to be a fire, but we learn and get prepared. We have no idea if there's going to be a tornado, but the siren helps us get prepared. And there's a lot of other things that help us get prepared. Well, one thing we don't know when it's going to happen is when Jesus returns. Jesus is coming back, isn't he? He's going to come back. And he was telling his followers a parable or a story And he said this is all about being prepared. And in his story, he talks about ten bridesmaids with a lamp. And the bridesmaids used to take their lamps and greet the bridegroom. But they didn't know when he was coming. So they needed to be prepared. Okay, we've got ten bridesmaids. Five of them took extra oil in case he took longer. And five of them didn't. So who were prepared?
2: The ten, the ten over
1: here. Yes, the ten over here. The ones that had extra oil. They were wise. They prepared ahead of time. Now these foolish ones, could they go see him? No. They couldn't see the bridegroom because they weren't ready and he didn't know who they were. And Jesus talks about him being the bridegroom and we being wise if we're prepared when Jesus comes back. And then the foolish people won't see Jesus the next time he comes back because they weren't prepared. And the best way to get prepared for when Jesus comes back is to ask him into our hearts. And then we're prepared to see Jesus come again. Let us say a prayer. Dear Jesus, one day we are going to meet you face to face. We pray we all will be ready for that day. Bless these children as they grow and learn in your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Lost in our service this week in Afghanistan. Sergeant First Class Robert R. Boniface, 34, from San Luis Obispo, California. And in operations supporting our activities in Iraq, we lost Staff Sergeant Alexandria May Morrow, 25, from Dansville, New York. In Iraq, of course, the operations are in the western half of Mosul, And according to Bruno Ghetto, the U.N. High Commissioner's Representative on Refugees, some 400,000 Iraqis are trapped inside of western Mosul as the street-to-street and house-to-house war continues. Keep them all in your mind.
4: Before we go to the Lord in prayer to lift that situation up as well as others in our own church and community. I just want to make a quick announcement. Uh, next week after our service, we're going to be having a baptism uh, over in the ministry center. Uh, Sammy, one of our confirmation students, has chosen to be baptized. Um, and so we're going to do that next Sunday um, over in the ministry center with an immersion baptism. And so uh, we want to invite you all to to be a part of that. Um, so at the conclusion of next week's service, uh, April 2nd, uh, we'll be uh, leaving here and going over to the ministry center to witness that baptism. And so we want to just let you know, give you a heads up, but also if there's anyone here or, or um, anyone you may know of that would like to be baptized, uh, by all means, let me talk to me this week. Uh, we can include you in that service as well. Uh, but that'll be happening next Sunday after our normal 9 o'clock service here over in the ministry center. So I invite you to all come over and be a part of that, that joyous celebration. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship you. Uh, Lord, uh, as, as Jay was sharing, um, we're reminded of, of places in this world and places uh, that are not safe to gather like this, uh, places that are torn apart by war and fighting uh, and, and civil war even. Uh, we pray that you would uh, help us to keep those people in mind, those that not only are soldiers who are fighting this war, but also the many, many families who are being displaced, who are, who are the, the tragic victims of the fighting, Lord. Um, so I pray that you would uh, be with them, help them to, to, Lord, find peace in the midst of this, this very real battle, Lord. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would be the Prince of Peace, that you would bring an end, Lord, uh, to the fighting that's taking place there. I do pray, Lord, also for, uh, for those that are listed in our bulletin today, that you would uh, be with them, Lord, you know what what the concerns are. You know exactly what it is they need. And so we pray that you would uh, be with them. Uh, Lord, fulfill that promise. Be faithful to your promise that you will never leave nor forsake your children, even in the midst of of difficult times. And so we pray that your presence would be felt uh, among those people and that you would meet every one of their needs uh, through your loving care. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who
2: art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into
4: Those helping with uh, not communion with those helping with the offering, please come forward at this time. Our offering today is going to be supporting uh, Mark and Jill Bird with Revive Ohio.
5: Remain standing. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, "'took oil in jars along with their lamps. "'The bridegroom was a long time in coming, "'and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. "'At midnight the cry rang out, "'Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him!' "'Then all the virgins woke and trimmed their lamps. "'The foolish ones said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out!' "'No,' they replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Please join us in singing hymn number two, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
4: You may be seated let's pray together father thank you for this day thank you that once again you've given me the opportunity to, to stand here and to share a message from you for this congregation and for those listening on the radio I pray that you would bless this time that we have together help our minds and hearts to be focused on you and not ourselves and and lord may you give me words to speak and open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today in christ we pray amen when i was growing up i was a member of the boy scouts and if you're familiar with the boy scouts and their motto it's it's to be prepared right that's the the motto that that they teach all of us from from cub scouts all the way through boy scouts and and my favorite thing about Boy Scouts, to be honest, was the camping trips. I loved going camping. Uh, we'd have weekend trips throughout the year, summer camps, and that was that was the highlight of it. And, and for a while there, that's what kind of kept me going. I liked going to the camping trips more so than the other aspects. But uh, but the camping was was such a fun time. And I remember one trip in particular. It was a weekend trip, um, and actually I think it was it was like a February trip because I remember having to clear snow out to set up our tent. You know, grow up in Western New York. Uh, but I remember this trip was special because. Uh, we were put in charge, Each our, our tent mate and I, you know, we were put in charge of planning the meal for, meals for our tent. Uh, they were teaching us on this trip to be prepared, uh, and, and that included planning things out ahead of time. And, and I remember my, my tent mate, his name was Andy, he was a few years older than me, but good guy. We, we hung out a lot together, especially with, with uh, camping trips. And, and I really wanted Andy as my tent mate for this trip since we were planning the meals out because his dad owned a butcher shop. And so I knew that if we were planning the meals together, it was going to be good. Um, one of, the, th- one of the, the meals we planned was was hobo dinners. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. You take tin foil, um and put meat, veggies, pretty much whatever you want, cheese, all that sort of stuff in the foil, wrap it up, and then you put it in the bed of coals in the campfire. And then the, it cooks that way. You flip it over a few times. And, and ideally, you open it up, and there's everything's fully cooked and ready to go, and hopefully it tastes good. Um, but usually you use like ground beef or something like that. Well, Andy wanted to bring sirloin tips, <laughs> which was fantastic, right? And so that was great. You know, we planned that out and that was wonderful. Uh, and then for breakfast the next day, he was bound and determined to have bacon and eggs. And so, you know, we're, we're hiking into this, this area. So we, part of the preparation was we had to be able to carry in whatever we needed for our meals and for camping and for the weekend. And so, he was determined to have bacon and eggs that, that morning, and so he took the 14-inch cast iron skillet and put it in his backpack and hiked in with this giant skillet just so he could have his bacon and eggs. And it worked out great, but but he, in order for that to happen, in order for us to have the sirloin tip hobo dinners, in order to have bacon and eggs for breakfast, we needed to prepare and be ready for it. We need to make the plans ahead of time and commit to it in order for that meal to happen. And we did eat like kings that weekend compared to everyone else. It was awesome. But our parable today, as you heard during children's chat and from the scripture reading, deals with this issue of preparedness. Are we going to be ready um, when Christ returns? You see, there are some things in life that we can never be ready for. There's some things in life, no matter how hard you try, you're not, you're not going to be ready for it. And some of those things are are good, like the birth of a baby. You know, I remember, you know, thinking when Josephine was born, you know, uh, after a few days in the hospital um, where, where the nurses were there and helping everybody out and, and, and really there for us, if we had any questions, we could ring in the nurse and they'd come in. Um, when our time in the hospital was up, I just remember like standing outside the hospital doors with Josephine in the car seat thinking like, they're letting us just take her home? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? You know, like, I never felt ready. Like, you're never ready for that moment. No matter how many books you're reading, how hard you try, that moment when you're standing there holding your newborn baby and you're on your own, like, there's, there's, you're never completely ready for that moment. Sometimes there's things in life that you're not ready for, um, and they're not good. The death of a loved one, you know, the, the loss of a job or, or a health scare. Those sorts of things, again, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be completely ready for those things. They can floor you. Um, and so there's good things in life, there's bad things in life that you can never be completely ready for. But there is one thing, one very, very important thing that we can be ready for, that, that we can make sure that we are prepared for, and that is for when Christ does come back. Uh, the moment Christ returns to establish his kingdom, we may not know when or how it will happen The Bible's pretty scarce on details like that, but we do know it will happen. That's a a guarantee that we see in Scripture over and over again. We don't know when or how, but we do know it will happen. And so the question is, when that day comes, will we be ready? Will you be ready for for that moment when you're face-to-face with Christ? And so this parable we had before us deals with that very issue. Um, it describes this wedding scene, which, to be completely honest, from our modern perspective to our modern ears, it may seem a little strange, right? What are these 10 bridesmaids doing waiting for the groom to show up? Like, what is, what's really going on here? But um, as with some of these other parables that we've, that we've looked at, um, we're, we're, we're 2,000 years removed from the social setting, right? And so for us, we don't do weddings like that, right? That's not how we normally do weddings. We don't have the groom show up in the middle of the night and, and the bridesmaids are on the lookout for him, right? That's a little strange to our ears. But for Jesus and his listeners, that would have been quite familiar. See, the wedding customs, the wedding celebration of those days, it was a big deal, right? It was, it was not just a celebration for family and friends, but it, it often involved the whole town. And it was more than just a, an, a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon. It was it was. All day, sometimes lasting um, up to a week, these celebrations. And how it would normally take place is, is the, the wedding celebration would begin at the groom's house. The groom and his, his groomsmen or his friends, um, his family. Uh, the party would start there. The celebration would start there. And, and as, as they became ready, when the right time came, they would leave their house and they would almost form like this parade through the streets. Uh, as they were As they were going through the village, uh, they would pick up more and more people uh, friends, family would be waiting for them along the roadside uh, and, and as they came along, they would join the party and the whole time, more and more people were, were joining in and joining in and eventually they 'd make their way to the house of the bride and her family um, and often at times they'd take the longest trip through town to get the most people with them and so so sometimes it, it took them longer than they expected to arrive because more and more people joined. They would take a longer and longer route in order for more people to be involved in the celebration. But eventually, they would arrive at the house of the bride. And at that point, uh, one of the responsibilities of the bridesmaids, uh, of the bride's friends and family, was to be on the lookout so that when the bride did finally come, or when the, excuse me, when the groom finally did come with his uh, with his wedding party. Uh, they would see him coming and let the bride know that the groom has arrived. And then the wedding party would then, would then arrive there. There'd be some ceremony, something going on there at the bride's house. And then everybody would then turn around and head back to the groom's house. And the prey would be going back through the village again. Um, and then the wedding feast would then happen at the house of the groom. Um, like I said, the celebration would sometimes last up to a week. And this, would often, the start of this, this wedding parade, if you want to call it, would often take place in the evening. And so these, these, the groom and his party, his friends, as well as the bridesmaids, uh, would have these lamps to light the way so that the whole village would be able to see this procession of the groom and the bride making their way to the wedding party. And so with that in mind, it makes more sense to, to see this, this parable in its, in, its, in its context here. What we're seeing here is the, the bridesmaids are supposed to be on the lookout for the groom and his party coming. And like I said, sometimes these, these things were delayed, and we see in this parable that that's the case. The groom was delayed for some reason. Um, the parable doesn't really give an explanation for it, and so I'm not going to speculate either. But either way, the delay must have been longer than expected because some of the, bri- the all ten of the bridesmaids eventually fell asleep. And while they were sleeping, the bridegroom and his party arrived. And so as we see, as, as Carolyn explained during the children's chat, uh, half the group was prepared for his arrival, but half of them were not. Some of them had enough oil for their lamps in order to to light the way back to the groom's house, but some of them weren't prepared. Um, and so the the parable here focuses on that. The main point here that we're looking at uh, is that we want to be ready when that bridegroom arrives. See, the the those bridesmaids represent us as as. As people, right, we can either be the wise ones who are prepared and ready when when the bridegroom arrives or we can be those like those foolish bridesmaids who are not ready. Um, and of course, the, the groom here, the bridegroom is representative of Christ and when he returns, see, Christ promised his disciples that he would come again. We don't, we I mentioned already that he wasn't very clear on the details in terms of when or how, but it was very clear that he would return again. In fact, Jesus didn't even know when, uh, when it was going to take place. He didn't know the date or the hour that he would return. That information was for the father alone. We see that in Ma- excuse me, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. says, so the son of man, even Jesus doesn't know when he, what the date or the hour that the father has set. Um, so if Jesus doesn't know, then, then how could we suppose that we can figure that out ourselves? But the important thing is to know that he will return. The bridegroom will come. And so what are we going to be ready for when that takes place? See, so many people throughout Christian history have have become so focused on those details that they've they've tried to set timetables and guess when Jesus comes again. As recently as 2011, a man named Harold Camping convinced many people that Jesus was about to return. People quit their jobs. uh, They blew through their life savings. uh, And many of them you know, started traveling around the country preaching that Jesus was going to come back, I think it was like October 12th or something like that, 2011. Well, guess what? Didn't happen, right? Uh, and so so some people can get so obsessed and so concerned about those details that they, they miss out on what the real meaning here. It's not our responsibility to try to figure out those details. Uh, our responsibility is to be ready whenever that does take place. And in our situation, right, taking this parable and applying it to our own lives, we, we do realize that the bridegroom is delayed, right? It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was born, since he, since he gave his life on the cross. And, and for, throughout Christian history, we've uh, seen that, that people believe that the return of Christ is imminent, right? It's going to happen. But, and, and each generation believes and, and has ideas, like I said before, where, where people try to speculate when and how it's going to happen. But the truth is he will come again. And we may look at this and think that, that, man, 2,000 years is a long time to wait, isn't it? But we, what we can see in Second Peter 3.9 that it's not, not that God forgot about us. He's not slow in keeping his promises, but he's, he's being patient. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, Jesus isn't late. He's patient. He didn't forget about us. He's coming. It's just a matter of when. Uh, he's giving us time to get ready. He's giving us time to prepare for his arrival. And when he does come, it will be sudden. Throughout the New Testament in several places, it describes, uh, describes his second coming as like a thief coming in the middle of the night. And we see that as even in Matthew 24, the chapter immediately before this passage we have before us today. Um, when we talk about a thief, when we talk about Jesus coming like a thief, we're not talking about him, you know, sneaking in unnoticed. We're not talking about him doing something wrong. Right. But but like a thief uh, in the night, uh, we may not know when or at what time Jesus will return. And so we need to be ready. You know, we lock our doors and we have security systems in our houses because we don't know when exactly a thief will strike. If we knew that information, we wouldn't have to worry about those things. But since we don't know, since we're not aware when a thief will come and try to try to steal our stuff, we need to make the the necessary precautions to prevent that thing from happening and so that's what that's the point of describing Jesus coming like a thief in the night it's not it's not about um, about him sneaking in unnoticed it's about the fact that we don't know when or or how it will happen, and so we need to take the necessary precautions to make sure we're prepared when the time does come. He may come at any time. And so we'll, the question is, will we be ready when that time does come? And to be honest, right, many of us here today, maybe none of us here today, will be alive when that time comes. It could be another 2,000 years before Jesus makes his return. I don't know. And none of us can know that for certain. But I do know that, uh, that we're not guaranteed tomorrow ourselves. Right at some point when our life here is over, we'll we'll be standing before Christ face to face, and we'll have to be ready for that moment as well. We're not guaranteed our next day or even our next breath. Jesus may not return in our lifetimes, but every one of us will have to have to be ready for that at some point. And so even even if Jesus doesn't return today or tomorrow or or in the next 100 years, who knows? We still need to be ready for the day when we will personally face him be with him and have to uh, give account for our lives. And so how do we be ready? If, that, if that's the main point of this passage, if that's the goal of this parable is to encourage us to be ready, what does that mean? How can we ensure that we are ready for when that time does come? And there's a few, there are several things that we can do. First and most important is we need to make sure that we are justified. We're made right before God. Last week we talked about the invitation to the great banquet. Right? And, and we talked about the importance of receiving that invitation, accepting it for ourselves. And that's that first step, is, is accepting the gracious invitation that that Christ has given to each one of us. But what does that mean? What exactly does it mean to receive that invitation? Well, it means that we need to turn away from our sins and trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord. Throughout the book of Acts, as the disciples go out and, and begin preaching about Jesus and sharing the good news with with people and, and many, many people were saved. Uh, they, they said over and over again, people like um, like in Acts chapter two, after Peter preached his first sermon, says people were cut to the heart and they asked, what must we do to be saved? And he says, turn, repent, turn away from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. That's, that's what we need to do in order to be saved. That's how we accept that invitation uh, to his great banquet. You see, that's the central message of the gospel. Turn away from your sins and trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord. 2 uh, Corinthians 5.21 is is one of my favorite passages that, that just simply sums up what, what the gospel is all about. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus took our sin, he took all that stuff that separated us from God, that God in the way of our relationship with him, and he took that upon himself. He wasn't sinful, he had done nothing wrong, yet he took it upon himself as... And took our punishment for us. And in exchange, we receive his righteousness. What a, what a joy that is, right? He takes our sinfulness. He takes all the, all the junk in our lives, all the stuff that we'd done, uh, and deserve to be punished for, right? According to God's law. He took that for himself. He took the punishment that we deserved and instead gave us his righteousness. You know, it's that, it's that great exchange that takes place. That's the central message and central theme of the gospel, um, giving, turning away from our sins and turning towards him because of what he's done for us. And I feel like as I've, as I've been here at New Knoxville and, and had an opportunity to preach week in and week out, uh, which, you know, is still pretty fresh and new and exciting for me, I realize I've been talking about that idea a lot, that idea of, of the, that central theme of the gospel about, trying to, about putting our trust in Christ. And some may think that, you know, okay, let's, let's move on to something more important or more advanced, right? But the reality is that, that we can never outgrow the gospel. We can never outgrow that central message, that central theme um, of the central truth of Scripture that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It's not like the gospel's Christianity 101, and then after you pass that course, you then go on to the rest of it. Uh, the gospel is the faith. The gospel is the central theme of Christianity, and everything else builds on top of that. I know in my life, we always need to be reminded of that simple truth. We're sinners in need of a Savior, and that one has already been provided for us through Jesus Christ. The more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we see and understand our need for a Savior. It's not that we, we are, are justified, and then all of a sudden we're sin-free, right? We're not perfect at that from that point on. But as we grow in our relationship with God, as we get to know Him more and, and get to know ourselves better, we realize the depth and the, and the gravity of our sin, right? And we realize more and more our need for Him as we, as we grow in our relationship with Him. And so we never outgrow the gospel, but we always need to go back to that. And so we need to, in order to be ready, we need to be justified before God. We need to be made right um, and accept the Except that exchange that I talked about, where Jesus took our sin upon Himself and gave us His righteousness. Um, but being ready doesn't mean that every moment of every day we 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 are are we feel that in our heart. Sometimes we have days where we just don't feel it, don't, don't we? We have days where where. Um, What we believe in our head doesn't always line up with our heart and our actions, right? As I already said, none of us are perfect. Uh, We're going to make mistakes, and there's going to be days where we just don't feel it, and we don't feel ready. But even when we feel like we, um, and we may even feel like we made a mess of things, but that's when we need to be reminded of the promises in God's Word, that those who have truly put their trust in Christ, those who have been made new in Him, we can never be separated from Him. We can never be separated from the love of Christ. There is nothing in this world, even our sin, even our imperfections, even the things that we continue to mess up on, none of that can separate us from what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. None of that negates his death and resurrection. Romans 8, um, if you ever find yourself feeling like that, uh, Romans 8 is the chapter that you want to turn to. There are several passages in there that remind us of the truth of the gospel, that those who are in Christ uh, can never be separated from the love of God. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the chapter goes on and concludes... Uh, with these verses, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes through quite a list there, doesn't he? Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ. That's a wonderful thing because there's days we don't feel it. There's days we don't feel like we're ready. But in those moments, we need to remind ourselves of that truth. Uh, Dr. Wardle was one of my uh, seminary professors, and he described, uh, he gave this analogy to to help us understand this. In 2 Corinthians five, it says that um, that we are made new, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, and the new has come. He said it's like a pig who's been transformed into an eagle, right? Completely new, completely different transformation. Now, that eagle is able to fly high in, 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 in a way that the pig never was, right? The eagle can explore, and it's majestic, and in its new creation, it can live that out. And sometimes that eagle may revert to pig-like tendencies, right? The eagle may decide that it doesn't want to fly that day. It may decide even that it wants to wallow in the mud and roll around a little bit. But that doesn't keep it, that doesn't turn it back into a pig. That, that eagle is still an eagle, in the same way, if we're truly in Christ, if we've given our faith, if given our lives to Him and made that commitment to follow Him, we're gonna have days where we end up rolling around in the mud, where we make mistakes, right, and we we find ourselves acting pretty pig like. But in those days we need to remind ourselves that's when the truth of God needs to, to, to make an impact in our hearts and our minds, that we are a new creation, that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. We also see from this parable that we can't borrow our faith from someone else. The foolish bridesmaids tried to borrow some oil from the wise, but the wise wouldn't let them. Right? But when that day comes, right, we need to rely not on our, our parents' faith, not on our spouse's faith, not on our pastor's faith, but on our own faith. We need our own oil to be ready for that day. <coughs> Excuse me. It should, also, <clears throat> excuse me, it should also be said that um, putting our trust in Christ, the, the promise of the gospel is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. For those of you who like to play Monopoly, right, that card is great. When you find yourself in jail, you can pull that out um, and play it, and you don't have to face the consequences or the penalties for being in jail for that time. And so some people think our faith is like that. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card that when that time comes, you can just pull the card out of your pocket and put it down and say, all right, I'm a member of the club, right? I've got, I've got my insurance here. But the thing about that card is it doesn't impact the game at all unless you're in jail, unless that moment comes, you need it. Otherwise, it's worthless. And some people view our faith in that way. We see it as eternal fire insurance or something like that, where, where it doesn't impact our lives here and now. It's only something that we need to rely on for the future. But the fact that we are in Christ, that we have put our trust in Him, does not—excuse uh, me—it does have implications in the present. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card we play later on in life, but it—but it impacts how we live now. Our readiness for when Christ returns has just as much to do with how we live our lives now as it does with what will happen at some future point. Whenever the Bible talks about eschatology, which is just a word uh, that means the study of of last things. It is always intended to encourage holy and righteous living in the present. Like I mentioned before, the Bible is pretty scarce on details of the the how and the when of Christ will return. But it's very, very sure, very confident in the fact that he will come again. And so so over and over again, as the biblical writers um, talk about the day of the Lord when he will return, it's always to encourage positive living now in the present. First Thessalonians five eleven concludes a section about uh, about Christ's return, and Paul Paul writes these words. He says, "Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing." So the whole point of Paul bringing up the fact that Christ will come again and we'll face that judgment, <coughs> excuse me, is simply to encourage us to live better lives now, knowing that we're justified. Trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross, it frees us up to live for God. We no longer have to worry about earning our salvation because we're already saved. We are free to love God and love others as we're intended to do. And so balanced discipleship uh, entails both immediate and long-term readiness. One of the authors of the, one of the commentaries that I was reading to prepare for today said, we should live as though Jesus is coming back today. And plan as though he's not coming back for another hundred years. We want to be ready. If he he were to come back before the end of the service, we want to be ready for that. But we may go our entire lives and and not see him return. And so we need to be ready for that too. We need to be ready to to stand before the Lord if he were to arrive today. And we need to live our lives in such a way that, that he's not coming back anytime soon. And so we want to be found ready for when he does. And we also see from this parable that the true test of of whether we are going to be ready on that day is whether or not we know Christ. See, the issue is that the issue is relational. The bridegroom, when when the foolish bridesmaids finally did arrive at the wedding feast, the bridesmaid says, I don't know you. And that echoes many of the words that Jesus shared during other parables and other stories talking about the judgment. You see, we're not getting ready for a theology test. The test that we're getting ready for is whether or not we know Christ and he knows us. It's relational at its very core. The word to know indicates relationship, not just, not just the passing knowledge. It's about whether or not we know and have that relationship with Christ. And so if that's what it means to be ready, if that's what it means to be prepared <clears throat> for when Christ comes again, what is that? How can we? What are things that we can do now to prepare for that? Titus 2 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself up, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify, purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So as we look forward to the day coming, we need to live lives that are um, self-controlled, upright, and godly in the present age, so that when he does come, it'll be ready. So how do we do that? Well, we can do things like. Um, some of the spiritual disciplines that i've talked about over the over the weeks we we can encourage bible reading see reading the bible teaches us how to be ready second timothy three sixteen through 17 says all scripture is god-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good every good work when i played football we always had a playbook right And each week some new plays were added, and and in order to be prepared for the upcoming game, we needed to study the playbook. If we didn't study the playbook, if we didn't know what we were doing, we would never even see the field, much less do very well. And so it was so important for us to prepare for the game, we needed to read the playbook. In the same way, as we prepare for this life, as we prepare for whenever Christ does return, we need to be ready for it by studying his word. It's how he chose to reveal himself. And so memorizing scripture can be a great way to do that. It's planting God's word in our heart. Psalm one nineteen eleven says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Studying scripture, memorizing it is a great way to be prepared for when Christ comes. We also want to give ourselves to prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's spending time with him and communicating with him in that way. And our scripture informs our prayer. That's why I think it's so important to be in the Word and then respond to it by praying to God. See, God initiated the conversation with us through His Word. And prayer is our response to Him by trusting in His promise, the promises we find in His Word, and asking for His will to be done. And preparing for His coming, um, another way to do that is by worshiping together, what we're doing here in this very moment. You see, we're not in this alone. We're, God has placed us here, has surrounded us with brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and build each other up. Sunday morning worship is not, or excuse me, it is a time for us to connect with God and with others. It's a time for encouragement and refreshing so that we can live faithfully for the Lord the rest of the week. And so it's important as we, as we gather that we prepare ourselves for worship, that we prepare ourselves to be encouraged and to be fed. Right? And, 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 and so as we start our services, it's good to, to be able to prepare our hearts in that way. Take time to pray and to focus on God and put aside other distractions. But it's also good to recognize that we're in this together and to find ways to encourage each other, encourage those around you, um, by, by, by encouraging them with a few words or, or by a listening ear. You know, there's no one right way to prepare your hearts for worship. There's a lot of ways to do it, but it's important that we do prepare our hearts for worship. And so, so taking the time to, to settle yourselves, to, to, to greet those around you is a, is a good and positive thing, but it all should be done in the goal and the hopes of preparing yourself for worship on Sunday mornings, because when we do that, our focus then is not on our distractions, but it's on the Lord, and we'll be able to grow and be encouraged by that. And so we need to be ready. We need, to, we need to trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, but then we also need to lead a life that reflects that reality now. Imagine, once again, a wedding. It would be unthinkable that a bride would forget her wedding day. The groom's up here waiting with, you know, with me as the pastor or whatever. The guests are all here, and then when the time comes, the bride's nowhere to be found. How ridiculous would that seem, right? How unreal would that be? But yet that's the image of that Jesus has given us through this parable of what it means to be ready for His return. Are we going to be the bride that forgets her wedding day? Are we going to be the bride who's not ready when that special day comes? Or will we have prepared ourselves, prepared our hearts for that time? Will you be ready when He arrives? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word um, And I pray that you would help us through your spirit to be ready for that day. Soften our hearts. uh, Make us right with you, Lord. And help us to lead lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand in closing sing number four, How Great Thou Art.